If you're new with us, my name's Trent. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. And like has been said multiple times already today, happy Mother's Day. I, I hope that moms, you have an amazing day and get to celebrate in whatever fashion is important to you. If you want to be around family today, I pray and hope that you get to. If you don't want to be around your family today, I pray and hope that you get to do that as well. So whatever is meaningful for you. Now, um, in my life, when I think about moms, I have a number of moms around me. I have my mom, my biological mother, who watches every Sunday. So mom, happy Mother's Day. Thank you for being my mom. Uh, She's an amazing lady, and I'm so grateful to have her in my life. I have my mother-in-law, Nancy, who might be here in second service. I'm not sure she is. There she is in the back row. So Nancy, happy Mother's Day. I got to tell you, I am one lucky son-in-law. You know the whole mother-in-law conversation that a whole lot of people have? I don't have that conversation because my mother-in-law is amazing, and I'm so grateful for her. So Nancy, thank you for being an amazing mother-in-law. My uh, wife, Tammy, who you saw up here, is, is an amazing mom. Uh, mother of our four children, and uh, you know, I, I kind of tease with my kids often that uh, your mom set the standard high for what it means to be a mom, so good luck out there. Um, so Tammy really is an amazing mom. And my daughter, Sydney, our oldest, is a mother of two, our two grandsons, and she's doing an amazing job uh, as a mom. So proud of her and how she's training up her young boys and what it means to love God. So I've got a lot of moms uh, around me. You may have a lot of moms around you as well. One of the things that I know about my moms that are around me is that moms tend to have more concern over their kids than anybody else does. Like, is that true? Have you found that to be true in your life? Um, Even in my relationship with Tammy, um, Tammy tends to have more concern over our kids than I do as a dad. Um, It's not that I don't love my kids, right? Dads, it's not that we don't love our kids. It's that moms tend to have more concern uh, about our kids. And uh, today, there's a whole lot of concerns that mom have about our kids and the world that they are being raised in. Um, Moms are often concerned about the world that our kids are growing up in, concerned about the temptations that are being thrown at our kids, concerned about our world being so hate-filled and divided, and our kids are facing that. We're concerned about the ideologies that are being forced on our kids. uh, Many moms are concerned about their kids living their faith in a world right now that does not support faith. And uh, moms, if you came in today and you didn't really have any concern for your kids, I apologize because I just like, gave you a whole lot of things that you could be concerned about for your kids. And, and I promise you this, the message will get more encouraging as we go along. Uh, it may not get better in delivery, but I guarantee you it'll get better uh, in the encouragement that we'll be learning together about. Now, one of the many things that, that many of us uh, have in common, one of the specific things that many of us have in common is, is we have concerns. Not just for our kids, we have concerns for ourselves as well. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a mom, you're a dad, you're a grandparent, uh, whether you have kids, no kids, whether uh, you're part of the older generation, the younger generation, whether you consider yourself somebody who has uh, a lot of money or you consider yourself somebody who doesn't have money, whether you're a Christ follower or not, many of us are concerned right now about the condition of our world. Uh, Our world seems like it's falling apart. 
It seems like we're living in this very chaotic world, and many of us are trying to figure out, like, how do we live in a world like this? And we're coming to the reality that some of the things that we thought were the answers to all the problems that are are being faced in our world, they aren't the answers. We're learning that together. There are some people who thought that education was the answer and, and thought, you know, if we just educate everybody the same, that everything will be okay. And I think we're learning today that we can become so educated, we lose all of our common sense. That's happening in our world. Other people thought that the government has the answers, right? There's some out there who thought, you know, if we just provide the right social structures, the right social systems for our population in our nation, in our world, like, like that will, will bring all the answers that we need. And, and we're finding that our politicians are struggling to get along on anything, to agree on any specific thing that will help our nation or help our world. You know, some people thought that, you know, if I just got power, if I got promoted to where I I wanted to be promoted and I got some wealth and I got some possessions, you know, maybe that would be the answer. It may not be the answer for everybody else, but it would be the answer for me. And I think we're learning today that wealth and position and power, all that stuff just keeps us stuck in greed and selfishness. It doesn't really bring the answers that we need. So often we're, we're realizing that this stuff that we thought were the answers aren't the answers, and it leaves us wondering, well, what, what are the answers? Like, who, who's the answer? Who has the answer? And how do we live in this world until we find out what the answers are? Are we supposed to fight against the stuff that's tearing our world apart? If we're Christ followers, are we supposed to boldly share our faith? Are we supposed to just sit on the sidelines quietly and watch our world step farther and farther away from God? We have a lot of questions. We have a lot of concerns uh, about our world today and how to live in it. And over 2,500 years ago, there was a group of people that had concerns about their world, specifically the tribe of Judah, the kingdom of Judah, from the nation of Israel. They were struggling at that time with some major things that were going on. You see, many of them at that time were living as slaves to the pagan king Nebuchadnezzar. And they were living in his pagan capital of Babylon. And one of the the young men taken captive to the Babylonians was the Old Testament prophet Daniel, who was trying to figure out how not to just survive that experience, but how to thrive in that experience. And the interesting thing is he came from a nation that served the one true God of heaven, and he went to a nation that served many gods. Specifically, the Babylonians' primary god was a god named Marduk. And the Babylonians would engage evil practices in worship of Marduk. They would sacrifice humans. They would engage perverse sexual acts of worship of Marduk. And that was the culture that Daniel spent his his life in. And we learned last week that Daniel began his journey there around 12 to 15 years of age. Can you imagine being a 12 to 15 year old and moving to an environment where that kind of pagan stuff is happening on a regular basis? It's part of the culture. That's the world that Daniel lived in. And Daniel was trying to figure out how to thrive in that environment. And apparently he figured something out because he was promoted to high level positions within four different kingdoms over 70 years. He had positions of influence and affluence 
throughout his time in that kingdom, in that part of the world. Like, how did he do that? Like, how did Daniel figure that out? Now, we're going to learn in this series together how he did that. And here's the big question we're trying to answer in this series. How can we thrive in a world that's falling apart? How can we thrive? Not just survive. And, and today I hear many Christ followers using the word survive. Like, like, how can we just survive all this chaos that's going on? I just can't wait for Jesus to come back and, and fix everything. And, and we have this idea of Jesus is going to solve everything, and he will. But until he comes back, we just have to grin and bear it and survive. That's not what God's asked us to do. And interestingly enough, even if you aren't a Christ follower, God wants you to thrive today and for all of eternity. And God defines thriving very differently than we do, but he wants us to thrive. So we're learning together how to thrive in a world that feels like it's falling apart. Today we're in part two of our Thrive series. And last week we learned that the first thing that, that Daniel did in order to thrive in his life was he decided in advance how he was gonna live. So before he got into that pagan culture, that pagan Babylonian culture, he decided in advance that he was gonna serve God no matter what. No matter what came at him, no matter what the Babylonian culture threw at him, he decided in advance. So he didn't go into the Babylonian culture saying, well, I'll figure out like what works for me and what doesn't work for me and, and which parts of my life that I will honor God with and, and other parts that I will compromise. No, he decided in advance. And when he went into that culture, how he was going to live and God honored him for that. Now, buckle up for just a second, okay? Because I'm going to change subjects completely. And if you're wondering in the next few seconds, like, how did we get on this subject? It's because I took a hard right, okay? So I'm just warning you, we're taking a very hard right. So how many of you are dreamers? How many of you are dreamers? Any, any dreamers? Okay, a few dreamers. Now, how many of you dream at night? So not just the dreamer of life, but you dream at night and you remember your dreams. Anybody have vivid dreams? Uh, aren't dreams really weird? Like, like they're strange, aren't they? Like they have these, these aspects of something that's familiar and then they have these aspects of things that are like strange and new. And like, you may tell somebody a dream and say like, hey, like I had this dream last night and you were in the dream, but it wasn't really you. And, and we were home, but it wasn't really our home. And we were doing this stuff that felt so familiar, but, but it wasn't really familiar. And then there was all this bizarre stuff that happened. Dreams are just really weird. Uh, some dreams just seem to be kind of random all by themselves. And then there's some recurring dreams. Anybody have recurring dreams that you dream over and over again? Um, I know that most moms, uh, one of their dreams is to just have a day all by themselves where nobody's asking anything of them. And again, like I said earlier, moms, I pray that you get that. But I just want to remind you, that's a daydream, not a real dream. So I hope that it becomes a real dream for you. I really hope today it does. So here's one of my reoccurring dreams. It's the dream that I have the most often is one of my most frustrating dreams. And it's this, that I am fighting someone in my dream and I'm fighting in slow motion. They're fighting at normal speed, but I'm fighting in slow motion. And you can imagine how well I'm doing in the fight. Like, not so well. I'm still in there. I'm not out, but I'm still engaged, and I'm trying at my hardest to hit this person, and I just can't quite hit them well. But they can hit me well, and they continue to pummel me all night long. And uh, 
Tammy says, you know what? Did you have that dream last night when, when I wake up in the morning? And I said, well, why? She says, because you were rolling all over the bed. And I was afraid you were going to whack me in the middle of the night and, and thought you were fighting me. I'm not the person you're fighting, Trent. I'm like, I know. I don't even know that I'm doing it. But I, I do remember it uh, when I wake up. So again, dreams are, are just weird, sometimes totally random. Sometimes they're reoccurring. And most dreams have no meaning, none whatsoever. But there are dreams that do have meaning. Sometimes God actually speaks through dreams. We have to be careful about analyzing dreams. I think God, if he wants to speak to us through a dream, he'll be crystal clear about that. And we won't have to spend a whole lot of time going like, hey, what are you trying to say to me, God? What are you trying to say to me? Except if you're like King Nebuchadnezzar in the story we're going to learn about today. So God spoke to King Nebuchadnezzar, again, over about 2,500 years ago through two different dreams. And he spoke some very specific things to the king that he didn't understand. And he needed help. He needed an, an interpreter to help him understand those dreams. So we'll be in Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 4 today, if you want to follow along in your Bible or your Bible app. And I need to warn you that we'll be in chapter 2 and chapter 4, and there's a whole other thing that happens in chapter 3. So next week, we're going to look at chapter three and explore that. And if you come next week and think like, wait, I think the story's out of order. It is out of order today because I'm, I'm taking it out of order so that we can look at this specific part of these dreams together. And I recommend that you read these chapters later today or later this week. And if you pick up a copy of our Spiritual Growth Challenge before you leave in our lobby, if you're watching online, there's a link in the comment section then you'll find that we have that as our Bible reading plan for this week, Daniel chapter two, Daniel chapter four. Today, I'm gonna to hit the highlights of these dreams. So in Daniel two, King Nebuchadnezzar had this reoccurring dream, it frightened him, and he couldn't figure out what it was and what it meant, so he called together all of his wise men of his kingdom, and he told them this, he said, listen, uh, I've had this disturbing dream, and I want you to tell me what the dream was, and I want you to tell me what the dream meant. And his wise men said in return, um, you're asking something that's impossible. Uh, we can't tell you what the dream was, so why don't you tell us what the dream was? We'll tell you what it meant. And he said, no, I'm not going to do that because you'll just make something up of, of what you think it meant. So I need you to tell me what the dream was and tell me what it meant. And by the way, if you don't, I'm going to have you torn limb from limb. You thought your boss was a little controlling and demanding, right? So again... His wise men said to King Nebuchadnezzar, like, this is impossible. Like, it, no one can do this. And the king ordered for all of his wise men across all of his kingdom to be executed. Well, Daniel was one of those wise men. And when Daniel heard the news, he asked the king for more time to figure out what the dream was. And then he ran to his three friends that we talked about last week. Anybody remember the names of his three friends? You were paying attention last week. Way to go. Way to go. That's awesome. So he ran to his three friends, and the first thing that they did in this situation was to pray. First thing they did, said, we need to pray and ask God to reveal this to Daniel. And God responded. And as I was reading that part of the story, it made me wonder, hey, Trent, when, when you run into something where you desperately need God's help, what's the first thing that you do? I wish I could say the first thing that I always do is pray. But honestly, sometimes it's the last thing I do. 
Sometimes I, I get active in trying to figure out the, you know, this problem, trying to solve it the, the best way that I think that it could be solved. And then I offer God that as a solution. Hey, God, here's what I think you should do. If you did this, wow, that would be wonderful. Um, and if you did it quickly, that'd be even better. And often it's too late that I go, oh, darn it. You know what? I'm a pastor. You would think I would think to pray first. Sometimes I don't. The reality for all of us as Christ followers is the first thing that we should do when we desperately need God's help is to pray, is to run to him and say, God, I need your help. Show me how to walk this out. That's what Daniel did. And God rewarded him by giving him the dream and its meaning. And then I want you to listen to what Daniel said in a praise back to God, because there are some foundational truths that we need to hold on to for today. And he said in Daniel chapter um, two, verse 20, he said, praise the name of God forever and ever, for he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. So let me just ask you, who controls the course of world events? God does. So as you're watching the news and you're thinking, this world has gone crazy, you can remind yourself, God controls the course of world events. God, God's always in control. God's never taken off guard. God's never surprised. God has a plan. There is evil out there, and evil is at work, but God has a plan always. He's always in control. He removes kings and sets up other kings. Or we could say he removes presidents and sets up other presidents. So maybe the last election, you were freaked out at who was voted in. Maybe you weren't and you were so excited and you thought, man, this president is gonna make everything great. Again, we thought that government was gonna solve all the problems. Guess who puts presidents in their office? God does. You know, sometimes we think we do. Like, hey, I voted, I did that, or I voted and somebody manipulated. You know, there's all kinds of conspiracy you know, ideas that we have out there, but guess who puts presidents in their position? God does. We need to be reminded of that. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. Again, we need wisdom. We need knowledge because today we've lost a lot of common sense and we need the wisdom that God can provide. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in the darkness. You know, there's, there's moments that we wonder, like, like, can God see kind of the crazy stuff that's happening out there? Like, that seems like there's this evil agenda out there that's happening. Like, yeah, God sees it. God knows what's happening in the dark. God knows what's happening in the light. You know what that means in our lives as well? God knows what's happening in our own hearts. God knows that. He knows everything about us. Is everything about humanity. Verse 23 says, I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. Anybody need a little bit of wisdom in your life? Anybody need a little bit more strength of, for something you may be going through? Who gives that to us? God does. He gives wisdom and strength. I think reminding ourselves of that powerful truth can guide us in moments when we feel like, you know what? Our world is falling apart. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it is. But there is somebody who's still in control of it, and that is God. So Daniel went to King Nebuchadnezzar, and the king asked in verse 26, is this true, Daniel? Uh, can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? And in verse 27, he said, King, 
there are no wise men, no enchanters, no magicians or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and he has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions that you saw as you lay on your bed. So Daniel, standing before the most powerful king in the world at that time, who did not worship the God of heaven, who worshiped the God called Marduk, Daniel says, basically, your God's not really a God, O King Nebuchadnezzar, because he didn't reveal this to you. But my God will. The one true God of heaven will reveal this to you. And so he told him what the dream was. Here's what King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed. He, he dreamed of a statue, a statue of himself. And there were different parts of that statue. The, the head was gold, the chest and arms were silver, the stomach and thighs were bronze, and the legs were iron, and then the feet were a mixture of clay and iron. And uh, King Nebuchadnezzar saw the statue, and then he saw a, a mountain behind it, and then a rock was cut out of that mountain, and it wasn't cut by human hands. And that rock came, and it demolished the statue, knocked it all over, broke it to bits. And then the wind came and the wind blew all the parts of that statue away. And the only thing that remained was that rock and that rock became a mountain that covered the whole earth. That was the dream that petrified King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel explained what it meant. Daniel said, King Nebuchadnezzar, God's trying to tell you what's gonna happen in the future. Uh, he's using this dream to, to tell you about some kingdoms that are coming. And let me explain the kingdoms to you. He said that the head of gold is your kingdom. King Nebuchadnezzar, you have this amazing kingdom and God has blessed you in some amazing ways, but your kingdom won't last forever. Um, next, the Persians are gonna come. That is represented by the silver. The Persians are gonna defeat you in battle, but they're not gonna last for real long because the Greeks are gonna come and defeat them in battle. They're not gonna last forever because the Romans are gonna come and defeat them in battle as well. And then when he got to the feet of, of iron and clay, Bible scholars have some debate about what that actually means. Some think that that's a, a previous kingdom that has come. Others believe that there is a kingdom coming that is signified by the feet of iron and clay. So there's some debate out there about that. And then Daniel moved on. He said, King Nebuchadnezzar, the rock represents God's kingdom. It's the only kingdom that will last forever. King Nebuchadnezzar, like, like, I hate to discourage you, but your kingdom's not gonna last forever. God's will. So that was the meaning of the dream. And Daniel chapter two, verse 46 says, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Then, then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. And at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon while Daniel remained in the king's court. So that was the first dream that uh, King Nebuchadnezzar had and the first dream that Daniel interpreted for him. In chapter four, we learn about another dream that scared King Nebuchadnezzar. None of his wise men could tell him what it meant except Daniel could. 
And what the king saw was he saw this large, beautiful tree planted in the middle of the earth. And then he saw a messenger from heaven come down and command that that tree be cut down, but leave the root. Not leave the root, but leave the root and the stump. So the stump would remain. And then the dream shifted from a stump to a man who was then turned into a wild animal for seven years. And Daniel chapter four, verse 19, it says this about Daniel when he understood what the dream meant. It says, upon hearing this, Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, was overcome for a time, frightened by the meaning of the dream. Then the king said to him, Belteshazzar, don't be alarmed by the dream and what it means. And Daniel replied, I wish the events foreshadowed in this dream would have happened or would happen to your enemies, my Lord, and not to you. And then Daniel went on and explained what the dream meant. He said, uh, the tree represents you, King Nebuchadnezzar, your kingdom, your power that God has given you. But you've gotten proud. And if you continue your arrogance, God's going to take your kingdom away from you. And he's going to take your sanity away from you. He's going to make you live like a wild animal for seven years until you understand God is in complete control over everything. Until you understand that. So that was the meaning of the dream. And then Daniel said in verse 27, King Nebuchadnezzar, please accept my advice. Stop sinning and do what is right. Break from your wicked past and be merciful to the poor. Perhaps then you will continue to prosper. So think about what Daniel could have said in that moment. I mean, here we hear Daniel have this deep concern for the king. But remember, he's a slave living in this pagan nation. I mean, he could have in that moment have said, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar sucks to be you because my God is about to take your power away from you and make you like a wild animal for seven years. You deserve everything that's coming to you. He could have said that, but he didn't. He had deep care and concern for the king. So much concern, he pleaded with him. Please, king, take my advice. Turn from your wicked ways. My God is merciful. And if you turn, then maybe he'll pour out that mercy on you and you'll continue to prosper. And, and when I read that and I see his concern for King Nebuchadnezzar, I wonder, as Christ followers, do we share the same concern for people around us who don't serve our God? Do we? Do you have the same concern for maybe a boss that you have that doesn't serve your God if you're a Christ follower? Do you have the same concern for a family member or, or a neighbor? Do you have the same concern for a coworker or, or another student at school that doesn't serve your God at all? Do you have the same deep care and compassion for them? Or are you a little indifferent to them? If something bad happens to them, do you feel better about yourself? And are you a little bit excited for them? Like, they deserve it. It was coming to them. Like, do you feel that way? Or are you grieved for them over God's discipline in their life? Like, do you want them to humble themselves before God so God can get a hold of their hearts? Like, how do you feel about people around you who don't serve your God? Do you care as deeply about them as Daniel cared for King Nebuchadnezzar? The reality is God cared about King Nebuchadnezzar. He cared very deeply. That's why he sent Daniel. That's why he spoke through these dreams to the king. 
God cares very deeply for everyone, all of his followers and people who refuse to be his followers. He cares for everybody. And he expects us as his followers to care as deeply about other people as he cares about them as well. So do you care about the people around you who don't serve your God? Daniel cared very deeply for King Nebuchadnezzar, but the king did not take Daniel's advice. And a year later, the king was walking through his kingdom and he became very proud and arrogant about the kingdom he had built. And God stepped in and intervened and said, today your kingdom's gonna be taken away from you. His sanity was taken away as well. And he went off into the wilderness for seven years and lived like a wild animal. He ate grass, his hair grew real long, his nails became like bird's claws, and he was like a wild animal, just living in in the wild until he recognized something. In verse 34, it says this, and this is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking here. said, after this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven. My sanity returned, and I praised and worshiped the Most High and honored the one who lives forever. His rule is everlasting, and his kingdom is eternal. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. He does as he pleases among the angels of heaven and among the people of the earth. No one can stop him or say to him, what do you mean by doing these things? When my sanity returned to me, so did my honor and glory and kingdom. And my advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored as head of my kingdom, even with greater honor than before. And now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he is able to humble the proud. How radical of a statement that it was. How radical of a thing that happened in that kingdom. We've got this pagan king who used to worship the pagan god Marduk says, you know, I'm not worshiping Marduk anymore. I'm worshiping the one true God. Nobody saw that coming. Nobody saw King Nebuchadnezzar bowing his knee to the one true God of heaven. So guess what? We all have people around us that we think, man, that person is never gonna believe in God. Like they are so hard. They are so cold towards, towards things of faith, towards God himself. Like they are so anti that. Like I can never imagine them bowing their heart before God to worship him. You know, we should never think that about anybody. Why? Because God can get a hold of any heart at any moment. He got a hold of King Nebuchadnezzar's heart and humbled him. And then King Nebuchadnezzar praised and worshiped the one true God. So nobody is out of God's reach. Nobody. We might think they're out of God's reach, but they aren't. So we need to keep praying and we need to keep pointing them towards Jesus. Now, I think God got a hold of Nebuchadnezzar's heart in part because Daniel stayed focused on the mission of leading Nebuchadnezzar to God. He didn't get distracted by all the crazy stuff happening in the Babylonian culture. He didn't sit in judgment over the king. He didn't take advantage of the king. When God humbled him, he stayed focused on the mission of leading him to God. And if you're a Christ follower, we've been given a mission from Jesus. In Matthew 28, before Jesus went back to heaven, he gave his disciples then and now a very clear mission. He said, I want you to go into all the world. And I want you to correct everybody's screwed up theology. 
I want you to go solve all those crazy crises that are happening out there. I want you to tell everybody why they are wrong and why I'm right. He didn't say that. He said, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to tell everybody about me. I want you to use your life and use your words and lead people into eternal relationship with me. That's the mission that we've been given. But sadly, sometimes we get distracted from that mission and we make another mission our primary mission. You know, some Christ followers think that the primary mission is to solve all the chaotic things happening in our world today. To engage all these causes and, and, and get into a battle on all these fronts. Now, are there causes that need to be addressed in our world today? Absolutely, there are causes. But if our primary mission is to win a cause, is to win a debate, is to prove a point, guess what? We just might, and we just might lose the people that Jesus died for. I am not saying ignore everything that's happening in the world around us. I am not saying that. I'm just saying remember the mission that we've been given, and that's to lead people to Jesus Bible says that people will know that we are his followers by what? Anybody know the answer to that? By our love for others. By our love. Bible doesn't say the world will know that, that we are his disciples by the knowledge that we have, how much Bible knowledge that we have. Is Bible knowledge important? Absolutely it's important. But scripture says people will know that you are Jesus' disciples, when you live out that Bible knowledge, when you love God and you love people, that's when people will know that we serve the creator of the universe. That's the mission that we've been given. So one of the ways that we can thrive in our chaotic world is to stay focused on the mission of leading people to Jesus no matter what chaotic environment we find ourselves in. And I'm curious, does anybody work in a chaotic environment? You have a chaotic work environment? Okay, a number of us. Hopefully your boss isn't here right now. Anybody live in a, a chaotic family environment? Some raise their hand. Apparently you might not have family members sitting next to you right now. Or maybe you don't want to raise your hand because of that. Um, anybody have a chaotic school environment where you attend school? Yeah, there's a lot of chaotic environments out there today. And as we walk through those chaotic environments, we've been given a mission. And I wonder, how are you doing at that mission? Are you laser focused on leading people to Jesus and loving God and loving them with your life? Are you laser focused on that? Or have you gotten distracted by another mission that's out there? It might be a good mission but it just not, might not be the best mission. It might not be the mission that Jesus gave you as his followers. You know, here's the reality. If we correct everybody's wrong thinking on all these issues that are out there, um, that points people to us and creates this right, I'm right, you're wrong interaction with people. Who's the only one who can change a heart for all of eternity? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. He's the only one that can change a heart. So who do we need to introduce people to? It's Jesus. So let's introduce people to Jesus, and Jesus can transform them. He can transform their thinking. He can transform their lives, and he will use us to be a part of that process. But if we focus on just 
transforming their thinking and their behavior before we lead them to Jesus, we're getting that backwards. And we're not focused on the primary mission that we've been given, and that is to lead people to Jesus. So again, if you're a follower of Jesus, how are you doing at leading people to him? That's the thing we need to stay focused on. I think that's the second thing that we can do to thrive in our chaotic world. So in just a minute, our worship team is going to come out and they're going to sing a song called Christ Be Magnified. And as they're singing, I encourage you to just have a conversation with God about how you're doing at fulfilling the mission that we've been given. Is Christ being magnified in your life and how you live and how you talk and how you interact with people around you who don't agree with you? Is Christ being magnified or are you being magnified? Christ needs to be magnified in all of our lives. So if you would, stand with me. We're gonna pray and then we're gonna sing about Christ and him being magnified in the world around us. So God, I'm so grateful for the book of Daniel and how we can learn from this this guy who was a young guy as he began that journey, 12 to 15 years of age as he moved to Babylon and he decided in advance how he was gonna live. He didn't wait to get in the Babylonian culture to figure out what would work for him, what wouldn't work for him, how to compromise his faith. No, he decided in advance. And he decided in advance to stay laser focused on the mission that you have given him. And that was to lead King Nebuchadnezzar to God. Jesus, you've given us a mission and that's to lead people to you. And we can see the miraculous happen as we do that. I'm sure Daniel was blown away. I'm sure everybody in the Babylonian culture was blown away when the pagan wicked king Nebuchadnezzar bowed his knee to the one true God of heaven. That can still happen today. Lord, you're using us in that process of pointing people to you. So Christ, we want you to be magnified in our lives and how we live and how we speak and how we point people to you. So Lord, we pray that we would join you in the greatest mission we could ever have. And that's the point people to you, Jesus, who can transform lives forever. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.